The theologian Diogenes Allen tells a story about a group of scientists and biologists who had been working very hard to develop a way to extend the life of insects and other small animals. And they were thrilled to have succeeded in being able to make animals live an extra 30 to 50% longer lives. And a conference was held so that they could share about their findings and what they had been working on. The name of the conference, the title of it was Extended Life, Eternal Life. And Diogenes Allen is not a scientist or a biologist, but um, he's a theologian, and they invited him to be the one to share with them about the theme of the conference, to speak about eternal life. And the first thing he said when it was his time to present was that what is spoken of as eternal life is sometimes misunderstood. Where people think that eternal life, when uh, religious people speak about that term, it, is it does not mean life as it is right now, just extended on and on, but rather it is life that touches the eternal. And this is something else. It's a different quality. Life that touches the eternal. The theologian Paul Tillich had a beautiful and simple and mystifying phrase, the eternal now. And the truth is, I think all of us, I'm sure all in this room, have experienced what that is about. Maybe a taste of it. There's a Greek word, ekstasis, which literally means to be beside yourself, to be outside of yourself. You've maybe used that phrase before when you're beside yourself. There are things that bring us to that place where we are out of our space, out of time even. Sometimes it is music. Sometimes it is finding yourself in the midst of nature. Sometimes it is through love, relationship, or wonder, or awe. These things that lift us above our regular place and give us a taste of something that is much, much more. Life that touches the eternal. Entering into the eternal now. And so back to the conference, um, the professor, Alan, gave his talk and he thought he'd done a pretty good job explaining the difference between extended life and eternal life. And I should say a little disclaimer that I know some scientists, including some in this parish, who totally get it. But there was one gentleman who didn't totally get it. And he came up to Professor Allen after he had spoken. And he approached him with something, a mixture between a little bit of giddiness and hostility. And he said to him, well, you see, Professor Allen, pretty soon we will be able to figure out how we can live forever and we won't need any of you religious people anymore. And you can see the misconception that he was believing that all that religion is about, all that it's for, is to live longer, to live a life that doesn't end. This is what this man thought was meant by life after death. But the problem is, and these are my words, not Professor Allen's words, the problem is you can... You may be a bug that lives 30% longer, but you are still a bug. <laughs> Today, we hear about the women who had lost their friend and their teacher, Jesus. 
And they go to the tomb to find his body. They're bringing spices with them. They're going to anoint his body and care for him. And this all takes place just as the sun has barely risen. Kind of like what we experienced this morning as we had a taste of the Easter vigil today. And you can imagine that first sunrise on Easter morning. And the, the writer of the Gospel of Luke is actually not um, just telling us the time of day. He's telling us something theological, that the darkness is ending, that death is coming to an end with the presence of light. And when the women arrive at the tomb, their best case scenario, what they're hoping for, is a dead body. And they're at first disappointed that the dead body is not there. The tomb is empty. We say the tomb is empty and we think of that as good news for them. It was disappointing because their best case scenario, sadly, was death. But one of the angels, we, we assume that they're angels, they're in dazzling clothes of white, these two men that are waiting for them there. Uh, one of them says probably the most important words in that gospel reading when he says, why are you looking for the living among the dead. For me, that, that rings in a special way at this time. Here we are, we're still living in a pandemic. We have been in the midst of a worldwide health event for a couple years now. And we have had death all around us, above and below and at every side. And yet, in the midst even of death, there has been life being lived. And here are the women living life, doing something beautiful, expecting death, but encountering a surprise that life has defeated death. And I do think it's interesting, God could have done it differently. Um, Jesus could have been there sitting on the stone greeting them, but instead the women, and it must be important for some reason, the women have to first go to the tomb, just like us and just like Jesus We go through death into this life that touches the eternal. And the risen Christ isn't just to be found in Galilee or in Jerusalem, but whenever we experience the eternal now, we know him. We experience him as risen. And it turns out that the good news is that precisely in the face of death, we are invited to live. Because Jesus did not actually say that he came to bring us less death. He came to bring us life in abundance. And those are totally different things. We don't come to church if we properly understand religion. We don't come to be protected from anything bad happening to our lives. And if we understand correctly, we don't come here with the illusion that it will keep us safe in everything we do. Rather, what religion, when it is true and its best, can offer is not less death, but more life. There's a parable told by an Episcopal priest and teacher named Cynthia Bourgeau, and it is a parable about acorns. And Cynthia Bourgeau writes it like this. Once upon a time, In a not-so-far-away land, there was a kingdom of acorns nestled at the foot of a grand old oak tree. These were modern acorns, midlife acorns, who engaged in a lot of self-help courses. 
there were seminars called Getting All You Can Out of Your Shell. <laughs> and there were support groups for acorns who had been bruised in their original fall from the tree. And there were spas for oiling and polishing those shells and various acornopathic therapies to enhance longevity and well-being. And then one day, in the midst of this kingdom, there suddenly appeared a stranger who had fallen from the sky, who was capless and dirty, who made an immediate bad impression on everybody. And crouched beneath the oak tree, he said to them, we are that. Delusional thinking, obviously, the other acorns all concluded, but one of them continued to engage him in conversation. So tell us, how would we become that tree? Well said the acorn that had fallen. Pointing downward, he said, it has something to do with going into the ground and cracking open the shell. Insane, they responded, totally morbid. Why then, we wouldn't be acorns anymore. And the story of the acorns shows a picture of how we humans often are, clinging to what we have known at the expense of what we might be. But the shock of the empty tomb and the risen life of Christ shows us what God wishes us to become, that our lives too may be risen and transformed and touching the realm of the eternal. Amen.